Welcome to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. How have you guys been doing? How are we kicking out there? I'll leave some silence in the audio for you to respond. <laughs> oh, God. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. So good to hear from you all. So good to hear your beautiful voices in our heads while we record this. Y'all sound great. Ugh. On a real note, though, thank you to all of our newer listeners. I feel like we've been hearing a lot from people lately. We have been, and we also, just based on statistics, have new viewers. So, hey guys, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hey, hey, hey. how you doing? So good to see you all. Yeah, and I mean, as always, we always put out feelers, um, but for the newer folks, if there's any certain thing that you really want to hear about, let us know. Um, We've been getting messages um, from some people who are also in the psychology field who are definitely interested in hearing more about our careers, so that might be a potential episode in the future. That could be definitely something. We're working on planning our episodes a bit farther in advance, so we got we got a plan, guys. But we're going to throw in some stuff about us. Yes. Since you're interested in that, I mean, that makes sense. I feel like I've definitely... Like, listen to podcasts where I'm like, I actually want to know more about, like, the podcasters, though, too. Yeah. So. Maybe if you guys have questions for us, just, uh, you can send us your questions, and then we will answer them on an episode where we talk about ourselves and our careers. So if you got questions, things you want to know about us, uh, send them to us. Yep. We're open to it. We'll do it. We will. We will talk about ourselves <laughs> for two hours straight. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so we have kind of a cool episode today. Do you want to tell the, our friends what we're talking about? I would love to tell our close, personal, and best friends what we are talking <laughs> about today. Of course, they've probably already read it in the episode description and title, but today we are going to be talking about Slenderman. <laughs> And more specifically, we thought, you know, we thought it would be cool to do kind of like just a deep dive into some cases that are psychologically interesting. Mm -hmm. So we're mixing up our format. So today we're just talking about one thing, one case. We're going to talk about Slenderman and the Slenderman stabbing that occurred in Wisconsin. Our neighbor. Our kooky neighbor. (laughs) Our kooky neighbor to the north, Wisconsin. Hello, Wisconsin listeners. How are all of you doing today? Yes. Yes, so... You big cheeseheads. You big cheeseheads. Cheese is so great, but not when you're lactose intolerant. <laughs> Lauren, I'm so sorry. It's, that is... it's very agonizing, I'll tell you the truth, but here we are. <laughs> That's the real reason we had to take a break. Lauren was just so distraught over her. <laughs> Difficulty with her lactose intolerance. She needed to, needed to take a few a week. I needed to off. mourn all the dairy. Yeah, we just had a had a big grieving session over some cheese, and then I ate all of the cheese. And I watched <laughs> and cried silently. It was beautiful, a beautiful moment. But alas, here we are talking about Slenderman. Um, you know, this has definitely been in the news a bit lately. Um, I know 
last podcast on the left covered Slender Man's story. We did kind of a deeper dive into it. But we really want to come at it from, like, the mental health piece of it. And um, talking about the girls, because I feel like a lot of people um, don't really have any insight to talk about that part, and we wanted to. And I think when you see this a lot, you see a lot of the, like, alarmist, like, how does this happen? How can children, you know, do something like this? And ultimately, you know, we will answer that. We're going to answer that very clearly. We're going to answer. This is the introductory paragraph to today's episode. In this episode, we will answer how 12-year-olds could stab their friend. Um, But, you know, really, there is an interesting thing that happens when you mix urban folklore Mm -hmm. when you mix uh children having access to the internet which is something we could debate the merits of quite a bit there are pros and cons and underlying mental illness and how those things kind of intersected perfectly in this case to create a really bad situation um you know trigger warnings oh many many uh, many Many. Number one, children stabbing other children. If you don't like that, don't listen to this episode. Yeah, big trigger warning there. Lots of trauma potential, especially since, you know, it is not... This is also interesting because it's a more recent case Mm -hmm. and it's such a publicized one. And so, I mean, quite frankly, obviously, if you are somewhat connected to any of these people involved, like, this might be rough for you, but we'd like to preface that we are not here to criticize the girls who did this we're here to explain how this happened or their parents you know that's not the goal either right i actually read an article that was like written by their moms i saw that too about their perceptions and it's pretty emotional right like this is this is just a situation that is difficult but it's also it's good to know the warning signs and it's also good to know that sometimes there aren't warning signs for violence. Sometimes there's warning signs that something's going yeah. on, but not that something like this is going to happen. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, two of the big things that probably will stick out from this episode are, one, you know, warning signs related to mental illness, specifically schizophrenia. Um, and then also a little bit of knowledge about the brain. Um, of an adolescent and Mm -hmm. just like you know as a parent or as a person like who works with kids just things to be aware of and how you know they may present as young adults but they definitely aren't thinking like adults right uh and and this is uh might be offensive to any of our 12 year olds listeners there's 12 and listening (laughs) please go double check with your parents that this is appropriate for you Uh, cause they know you better than we do. <laughs> you know, just double check. We don't want to traumatize any children, right? But 12 year olds are still children. Yep. Very much so. Right. They are still children. And, you know, sometimes they are children that look more like adults mm-hmm. than other 12 year olds. Sometimes they're children that act like adults. And it's not a negative thing, right? It's not like it's a bad thing. It's just developmentally. 12 year olds are 13 to 14 years away from having an adult brain. Yep. It's so like always doubling be aware their life. of that. So it's just good to really just make that point. Also, think about, uh, 
yourself when you were 12. Bring yourself back into oh, that God. headspace <laughs> for a moment. Horrifying. You know, we yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! How were what were you like as a twelve year old? Um, so at twelve, I had braces. Um, mm-hmm. There was a lot of hair gel use because I didn't know how to do my hair. Um, yep. I'm pretty sure that was the year I got my braces stuck to the carpet. Actually, <laughs> so it was neat. Good time. A good family yeah. tale that we tell every so often. Um, I'm sure you love that. I love it. Um, Love it. Very socially awkward. Uh huh. Actually, first started exper- experimenting um, with internet chat rooms, which I had no business doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that that was me at twelve. Just very awkward and uncomfortable. Yeah. What were you like yeah. at twelve? At twelve, uh, weird. I was a weird kid, which I probably doesn't surprise anyone who knows me because I'm kind of a weird adult as well uh let's see at 12 awkward deeply self-conscious uh really just full of ennui and (laughs) self-loathing and uh that was the year fun fact I also had braces I would say I had glasses but I'm wearing my glasses right now I typically wear contacts I prefer them but still had not gotten my contacts yet full-on glasses thick ones too because my vision's bad um that was the year that I got I managed to break my four front front brackets off on my top teeth at once wow so (laughs) this is a fun thing also one of the scariest phone calls that I had ever had to make to my mom because I was told in no uncertain terms if I broke off any more brackets I was going to be grounded for the rest of my life and I was on a tire swing at my friend's house and you know when you uh you know when you're on a tire swing I did have friends that must have been nice (laughs) (laughs) I had friends um and and really you know my friends I think they were great. They were supportive. We were all super weird. I would have been your friend, too. You would, we would have been great friends at 12. Um, but I did, in fact, I was very awkward. I was very self-conscious. I did have friends who were pretty equally awkward and self-conscious. We bonded together, as happens, yep. um, at that age. But I was at my friend's house on the tire swing. And you know when you sit on a tire swing and then all of the people, they just twist you? Yep. So the chain's super twisted, and then you fling around really fast in a circle. It's fun. And we did that till it was about five feet off the ground. The chain snapped, and I fell, and the tire hit me in the face when we landed on the ground and broke off my four front brackets. Um, yeah, it was very painful. I was violent. Yeah, it was a bit. It was I was bleeding a lot um, from the gums and from my lip. And I've had, like, a fat lip because I got hit by an old tire in the face. <laughs> Naturally, yes. <laughs> Naturally. Uh, luckily, of course, terrified to call my mom. My mom was, of course, just overjoyed that I was not seriously injured in this. I did get a lecture on appropriate use of a tire swing, which is apparently swinging and not twisting it up as high as it'll go until you spin around in circles. Um, well, you, learn, but, you learn you learn how to appropriately use tire swings. You learn that the inappropriate use of tire swings is way more fun, so you elect to not use them <laughs> properly. 
Um, but it, 12 is such a weird age. It's the worst. It's, I would argue it's the worst. Middle school is the worst. Yeah. No offense if you're in middle school and you like it. Good for you. I hope you do great. It's but just a rarity. I feel like 12, 13 is just a very difficult time. <laughs> There's, like, exactly one kid in middle school who likes middle school, exactly. and that is the most popular kid in middle so, like, school. I am Everyone else excellent at sports. I don't have acne yet. <laughs> oh, oh, man. It's, you know, and I think the thing is, at 12, you feel invulnerable. Yeah, that's so you true. You also are so convinced that you're an adult. And that no at one understands I, you. That no one understands you, except for the, like hundreds of kids at your school and millions of kids year year worldwide who all are like in the same spot it's that early puberty Mm. it's a terrible time your hormones are crazy and you were just unhappy yeah yeah so now that we're all sufficiently having flashbacks um (laughs) (laughs) now that we're all traumatized about things that happened when we were 12 uh let's talk about some the worst psychology stuff year old experience you could possibly have right also just in case anybody does not know right off the bat i'll just spoil the ending and clarify that the victim is still alive she did survive this situation i just read an article she's going to college Yay. i'm the pandemic may have gotten in the way of that but that was her plan to be starting college this fall and she sounds like she's actually doing pretty well so That's bit of a we're happy for her happy for her <laughs> hope you're doing great peyton peyton as if you're a listener to this but that would be weird i would have the chills all of them <laughs> be like Okay, just like be like, we're sorry if this was triggering. Yeah, I'm to so you. sorry. <laughs> we didn't mean to personally attack you. <laughs> Apologies. We're not attacking no. her. She's she was just she tried. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll really get we'll get there in the story. Alright, so let's get into the psychology of urban legends, right? So first of all, Psychologically, urban legends are a way for us to make sense of the world and manage threat in a safe environment, which makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. So from the perspective of believers of urban legends, myths act as proof and reinforce reinforce existing beliefs. So this is actually important because they help to validate a person's worldview and in doing so legitimizes their fears as real and genuine. So it can be really validating for some people. Um, urban legends also provide a source of entertainment, so sharing them is an important form of social engagement. Passing apparently important information can make people feel helpful, um, despite lack of evidence. So, do you have what if when you're thinking of like urban legends, mm-hmm. which urban legends from your childhood like pop out at you as like things you remember hearing about? For sure. I, I definitely think about, like, Halloween and, like, finding, like, yeah. razors and shit in your candy. <laughs> like, I don't know why that was a thing. Actually, I do. Right. I do know why that's a thing. I think it happened once. Yep. And it was it the is dad a real thing that... to, like, his son mm-hmm. is the real yep. tea. It is a real thing that happened because one kid's dad... Is an asshole. Was, is an asshole. So, other than that, really is not that big of a threat yeah what urban legends do you think of automatically um 
I'm trying to... A lot's coming back, because I've always been, like, very into folklore. The Thing, not the T-Swift album that just came oh, out. I have God. not listened to that. But folklore, we, we even have, like, books on Slovak folklore and everything here. So, like, I'm big on it. The one I remember hearing a lot when I was a little kid is, like, the girl who had the green ribbon oh, I love that around one. her neck, and then she God, takes it off, and her her head falls off, and she dies. I don't know who all... Which, like, that one, I'm, like, not super sure what the point of that was. Yeah, but what it did is that warning? Me... <laughs> <laughs> but it was also so interesting to, like, hear that at a time um, when chokers were really big. I, so, like, I remember actively wearing after i heard that story you would i would <laughs> that, you would like that that just tracks quite frankly yep. but it is interesting how like a lot of people you've kind of like heard the same ones even though we grew up in different areas sure. still heard a lot of the same stuff it's a big folklore is like a big part of childhood and like urban legends for those a bit younger than us the clowns for us those a bit older than us also the clowns always the clowns always clowns but you know and to the point of you know the reason why our religions happen like it does make you feel important and that like you're sharing important information with people especially like when you're young where you don't know a whole lot yet and you're just like well i do know this and i need to pass along this very important information Mm -hmm. so kind of interesting yeah. Um, so speaking of urban legends and stuff like that, um, the phenomenon that is closely related to that is false news. <laughs> Fake news. Um, and the websites which deliberately create sensational hoax stories in order to attract viewers, right? That clickbait. Um, mm-hmm. Consistent with urban legends, dissemination via the internet places an emphasis on topic rather than source so from a social perspective these stories become part of a collective reality um and then exposure to inaccuracies have major implications such as influencing how we remember things as a group so falsely remembering something that never happened actually has been dubbed the mandela the can i say this the mandela effect after it's because we're therapists, so we just, like, mandalas. have lots of coloring books of mandalas <laughs> and how we can't say Mandela. Mandela effect. Um, and as you guys may remember, there is a widespread rumor that Mandela had died in prison in the 1990s, which is not true. But as a group, people remember that. A lot of people think that he did. It's very interesting. Um, there was another really thing about is, that. Yeah. There was a thing about, I think... Um, the Mandela effect with, like, the way we remember, like, what certain, like, Disney characters wore, or, like, the titles of, like, certain Disney movies, but, like, it's actually wrong. Huh. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. That's also a big thing with, like, movie quotes. Yes. Yep. Where there's certain things that consistently get remembered wrong. Um, like, in Star Wars, Luke, I am your father is not what he actually says. What does he actually say? I don't know. I started off really confident there. I believe you. I'm just curious. Like, let me let me Google really fast. Okay. Hooray for the internet. I love the internet. Especially fast. We'll just... Internet. We'll maybe cut this out. Maybe not. We'll see how smart I sound. 
Uh, what he actually says is, no, I am your father. Oh. So what the hell? So it's like they people remember, Luke, I am your father. Meanwhile, the two of them are talking, and he just goes, no, I am your father. Guess what, everyone? So, We're wrong. We are wrong. Alright, something else that's interesting is um, the Duke study. I think we may have briefly talked about this before, but I'm going to tell you about it again. I believe we discussed it in the... Um, one of our other folklore-heavy episodes, which is our Christmas special. Go ahead and listen. If you have not yet, talk about Krampus. It's a good time. It is a good time. I also really deeply appreciate the person who was from Germany who, like, wrote in. Yes. That was cool. I can't remember her name, but shout out to I believe to her you. name was Elena. Hey, girl. How you doing? Hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> Been a while since we mentioned you on the podcast. <laughs> Just keep bringing you back. Like, wow, please stop. (laughs) (laughs) You're making me very uncomfortable. All right, so the Duke study. So, um, so psychologists at Stanford and Duke universities had a theory, and they proposed that ideas are selected and retained in part based on their ability to tap emotions that are common across individuals. Um, so. Heath, who is one of the people who studied it, and his colleagues decided to examine anecdotes that inspired disgust. So some 25% of urban legends actually fit that. They took 12 urban legends and presented them to undergraduates at Duke University with three increasingly revolting versions of each story. For example... Someone develops vacation photos and discovers a toothbrush has been photographed in close proximity to a hotel worker's A. Fingernail B. Armpit or C. Enus Such an interesting sentence. Right? You've had to say. I mean, the fingernail, like, not that weird. Not I mean, I, like, I assume I, it happens, you know. Like, I'd be a little bit like, but why, mm. though? But I would not necessarily be disgusted, because it's like, okay, your hand was near my toothbrush. Right, you were for, cleaning the Probably room. because you were cleaning the room. Yeah. <laughs> the anus, on the other hand. Completely no reasonable <laughs> explanation for strange. that. There's, there's nothing good has come out of that situation. Yes. So, okay, so those were the three levels of disgust. Um, so, <laughs> amused undergrads consistently repeated the version that elicited the most disgust. So, according to Heath, emotion matters. It's not informational value alone that causes things to succeed. So, many urban legends end up, and legends up, the emotional ante by acting as cautionary tales. There's the story of sadistic people booby-trapping Halloween candy, which we had talked about, um, who publishes findings in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. That's classic emotional selection and made people less able to trust their neighbors. So, really cool study. I mean, I feel like that would be so right. fun to participate in. I would love to do that kind of research. I would too, to see how people react. I love it. Right? Um, <laughs> Should we try to start an urban legend? Let's start one now. <laughs> see how it gets passed along. <laughs> we'll work on it. <laughs> to be continued. Um, so, a lot of you may wonder, like, okay, like, where did Slenderman even start? Obviously, it's an urban legend, but, like, who started it? Um, so, Slenderman, 
is a creepy character who hangs around in forests and stalks children. Horrifying. We know this. Yep. This originated in 2009 on an internet forum as part of the Photoshop challenge in which participants edited photographs of everyday objects to make them appear paranormal. So Slenderman has since been become an internet meme and been re- or referenced in both video games and art. However, his popularity caused minor moral panic after it was discovered that violent attackers had been inspired by it. Nonetheless, he illustrates how the internet facilitates the rapid transmission and growth of urban legends. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And for those of you who uh, are not actually familiar with uh, Slender Man, he's a tall man, very tall man, anywhere between 6 and 14 feet tall, depending on which version you are reading. He wears a suit. He does not have a face. Which is and the most he disturbing part to me. Is a bit creepy. But he does have tentacles that come out of his back, which he uses to abduct children. So And, and strangle them. I think he strangles them. I think so too. And I think weirdly, he does resemble Jack Skellington in some ways. He does look a bit like a worse Jack Skellington, because like Jack's scary. Jack Skellington, right? Because Jack Skellington is, I mean, a stand-up character and does have a. He has a skull face, so he at least does have a face, right? And he's friendly. He cares about Halloween. Like, there's many redeeming qualities about him. <laughs> and he does not. He does abduct Santa Claus, but he does not abduct children. And he does use children <laughs> to abduct Santa Claus. <laughs> it's a delightful twist on the narrative. Um, so anyways, let's get into I'm just gonna tell you guys the story of what happened here. So there's some confusion on the specific details of what happened. Um, which I'll get into a bit later, but here is the general gist. So there are three characters in this story, four if you consider Slenderman a character in the story, mm-hmm. uh, which he is, so we'll say four, but basically there's three girls. One, her name is Peyton. Peyton is our victim in this situation, and her two friends, Morga, Morgan and Anissa, is it Anissa or Anissa? I just have been saying Anissa. We're going to go with Anissa. Our apologies if we are mispronouncing it. Um, But basically, this happened in 2014 in Wisconsin. And as we'll just go with the actual stabbing event itself. There's more to it. But the Friday night, the three girls had a sleepover celebrating Morgan's 12th birthday. They went to a roller rink. They did normal kind of kid stuff. Peyton says it was a bit weird because usually Morgan wanted to, um, you know, wanted to, like, stay up all night at this sleepover. She wanted to go to bed, kind of push it to go to bed right away. They went to bed. The next morning, they decided to go to a park. I believe it was a state park of a pretty Mm -hmm. foresty nature. So Anissa stated that she believed that Slenderman had told them to kill Peyton and that she feared that her family would get murdered if they didn't kill Peyton. So, she first, they went into the bathroom in the park, 
and Anissa tried to knock Peyton out. I believe she hit her head with on the concrete, and it did not work. She did not get knocked out. You have to hit somebody pretty hard to actually make them lose consciousness, so she did not actually lose consciousness. Um, however, they kind of kept playing, so even though they had just tried to attack her, Peyton did kind of keep staying with the group. So... They went out into the forest, and allegedly, Anissa was like, let's play, you know, hide and seek, and they told Peyton to get on the ground. Morgan stabbed Peyton 19 times with a kitchen knife that she had taken from her house. Um, Morgan said in the interview, I have wanted to hurt people before, but they're not nice to me, so they deserve it. So, yeah. Peyton had five wounds on her arm, seven on her leg, and the rest was kind of in her torso. Total of 19, um, apparently, just to kind of go with how serious this actually was, one of the stab wounds almost hit her heart. It was really close, and they said it was one millimeter away from a major artery, so she just barely, they're like, if it would have hit it, there's no way she would have survived. So it was pretty pretty rare like pretty miraculous that she did survive that they did miss because it was that close um Peyton had kind of gotten up tried to get towards the road find a place to sit down and a bicyclist rode by a good guy in the story found Peyton called 911 immediately allegedly she did tell him that um she had been stabbed and she needed help so he did help her Uh, And the two girls, Morgan and Anissa, went on a quest into the woods to find Slenderman. um, Because Morgan believed that the mansion where Slenderman lives is in the Wisconsin-Nicolette National Forest. Um, However, that would have been a three-hour car ride away, so they were planning to walk there afterwards. Um, So, believe it or not, they got caught very quickly. And then they ended up pleading through the trial. They were both found, they pled guilty, but they were found not guilty due to uh, mental disease or defect. In December of 2017, Anissa received a maximum of 25 years in a mental health facility. And in February of 2018, Morgan received 40 years, a maximum of 40 years. Um, So Anissa pled guilty to being an accomplice to a second degree intentional homicide. Morgan pled guilty to a attempted first degree intentional homicide. So the thing with... um, being found not guilty due to reason of mental disease or defect and being getting a maximum of a sentence in the mental health facility, you are eligible to get released every six months. So they go through a board kind of every six months to see if they should still be in there or not. So it's on the basis of if they are still a deemed a threat or deemed any danger based on their mental illness. But as of this time, they are both still in the facility. Yep. So, Lauren, would you like to tell us a bit more about Anissa? I would. Um, so, yeah. So, here's the part we're going to kind of get into the girls. Because I feel like not a lot of people know about their backgrounds. Um, especially about Anissa. Um, 
you know, it was definitely difficult to find a lot of information about her and her past. Um, but, you know, I definitely wanted to shed some light on her and um, talk about brain development, especially when it comes to Anissa. Um, so this happened. Um, so her birthday is actually November 10th, 2001. So the stabbings occurred when she was 12 years old. And just like we were talking about at the beginning, 12 is a difficult age. Um, right. So when interviewed, her parents definitely had noticed that she was online often, but they felt that she was based in reality. Um, and they had claimed that she had never talked about Slender Man with them, um, or it didn't really seem to have an obsession with him. Um, also, according to the Daily Mail, um, Anissa had an older brother named William, and he said Anissa could not tell the difference between dreams and reality. Um, William was fully aware of Anissa's interest in Slenderman and the ghost story website Creepypasta. Although William is reported saying the stabbing was out of character for the girl who was relatively quiet. So there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect where, you know, parents didn't seem to notice anything off, but her older brother definitely did. Also, um, there is a documentary called Beware the Slender Man that I think a lot of us have watched. And according to the documentary, um, there were some disturbing internet posts that they found um, that Anissa had put online. So one of these is more silly than the other one. But um, on February 20th, 2014, she allegedly wrote, Why did the baby cross the road? Because it was strapped to my bumper. <laughs> like, okay. Like, okay. that's like a dumb culture joke. Like, we get it. That's like not particularly clever. Just weird. Just weird. Very attention-seeking is my thought behind it. Right. Absolutely. Um, so I'm not really concerned about that. Second one was, on April 14th, the same year, she reportedly viewed a video of a cat eating a mouse and commented, I love how Zeus, who is the cat, beats the mouse to death. Okay. So that's a little bit more concerning, in my opinion. <laughs> um, so we're Anissa, uh, was charged with attempted first-degree intentional homicide with a dangerous weapon, party to a crime, and party to a crime. Um, it's definitely interesting when you hear her being interviewed and just, like, her perception of things. So, um, in her interrogation, she had shared, I was really scared knowing that Slenderman could kill, easily kill my whole family in three seconds. So, there's definitely this, um, this, this belief that Slenderman is real and this real fear of him. Psychologist Dr. Michael Caldwell said that Anissa had schizotypy, um, or typey, which I, I think it's typey. typey. Um, I think. I've never heard it called that before, but basically what he was suggesting is that she didn't have the ability to determine what's real and what's not. So, you know, I've heard it explained as like schizotypical, um, qualities before, but I guess, you know, whatever you, word you want to use. I think there's also a schizotypal personality disorder. Like, yeah. there's a few different ones that are schizotypal, but not necessarily schizophrenia. Right. Yeah. So I was like, eh, eh. kind of all the same, I think. Um, so she seemed to have a fascination with macabre things, which we understand here. Right. Um, we get it. We get it. So from what I've read on the Creepypasta wiki, uh, so this is a quote from her, by the way. 
She said, from what I've read on the creepypasta wiki, it's easier to kill when they're either asleep or unconscious. And this is something she told the detective. When you look into a person's eyes, you can see yourself and you don't want to be killing yourself. So I asked Bella if she could put herself to sleep. Um, And also for some reason, they used to call Peyton Bella. Yeah, that was like their nickname for her. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So in a lot of this, you'll hear sometimes Peyton and sometimes Bella. Right. Same girl. Yep. So, yeah. So, I mean, from that quote, you can kind of tell, like, she definitely looked into this stuff. And, again, like, if you're kind of into, like, more macabre things or it's just, like, interesting to you, I don't think that's that strange. I mean, maybe at age 12. Like, I don't remember at age 12, like, looking into something like that. Um... I don't know. So it's definitely interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so during the investigation, Anissa did sh- um, shed some tears, which is, you know, important to know that she was having some feelings about it. Um, but people definitely noticed that Morgan frequently appeared to lack emotion while recounting the stabbing. So there's a little bit of a differentiation there. Um, Anissa calmly revealed that after she hit Peyton's head against the concrete, they played a game of hide-and-seek, so she and Morgan could act like lionesses chasing down a zebra. Very matter-of-factly, Anissa said that Morgan handed her the blade and said, I can't do it. You know where all the soft spots are. And then I gave it back to her, saying, you do it. Go ballistic. Go crazy. Make sure she's down. So that part's interesting, too, um, where it seems like Anissa seem to have researched a lot of this um with you know with her saying like you know where all the spot the soft spots are um Mm -hmm. but also was having some difficulty like actually acting out um the violent behavior um so currently um i read an interview from fox and basically anissa's dad described her life at a mental health facility during the sentencing hearing and he said that she's taken on the role of pod mommy, as some people call her. She knows how things function there. She helps other kids with day-to-day routine. So that's part. that part's kind of interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So, obviously, there's, like, bits and pieces that I was able to find where there's definitely some um, strange or just abnormal behavior. Um but all in all, like, nothing that really sticks out, like her parents say. Um, so I think what this really kind of comes down to is understanding development and brain function at this age and how, you know, being paired with somebody who does have a serious mental illness compared and also paired with, um, you know, lack of, you know, adult brain functioning can lead to a situation like this. So, some of you may be aware of Erickson's eight stages of psychosocial development. Um, So, there's eight different stages and different milestones that you're supposed to meet. Um, So, I wanted to talk about, at age 12, uh, the two different psychosocial development stages that Anissa would have kind of been in between. Um, So, the first one is industry versus inferiority. So, during the elementary school ages of 6 to 12, children face the task of industry versus inferiority. Children begin to compare themselves with their peers to see how they measure up. 
can either develop a sense of pride and accomplishment in their schoolwork, sports, social activities, and family life, or they feel inferior and inadequate because they feel they don't measure up. If children do not learn to get along with others or have negative experiences at home or with peers, an inferiority complex might develop into adolescence and adulthood. Um, so that part's important. I mean, it definitely sounds like her interests, you know, weren't like the common interests of like a 12-year-old. So there may be um, a little bit of social disconnect that was happening with her and a sense of inferiority socially. Um, another thing that happens around this age is something called identity versus role confusion. So in adolescence, 12 to 18, so again, she's right smack dab in the middle, children face the task of identity versus role confusion. According to Erickson, an adolescent's main task is developing a sense of self. Adolescents struggle with questions such as, who am I and what do I want to do with my life? Along the way, most adolescents try on many different selves to see which ones fit. They explore various roles and ideas, set goals, and attempt to discover their adult selves. Adolescents who are successful at this stage have a strong sense of identity and are able to remain true to their beliefs and values in the face of problems and other people's perspectives. When adolescents are apathetic, do not make a conscious search for identity, or are pressured to conform to their parents' ideas of the future, they may develop a weak sense of self and experience role confusion. They will be unsure of their identity and confused about the future. Teenagers who struggle to adopt a positive role will likely struggle to find themselves as adults. So I feel like this is important as well because, you know, at this age, and I think we all can relate to this, where you're definitely trying to figure out, like, how you fit in society and what your role is. And, you know, just how they're talking about how you try out different selves during this age. So this could be, you know, one of those things where, you know, she was trying out a different identity and it got way too out of control. Well, and one thing that I'd like to kind of just add into this is something about just peer dynamics yeah at this age is that really like if you look at it when you're looking to compare yourselves to others and when you're looking and finding your role in a lot of peer groups there is one person who's kind of in charge yeah. and in this peer group anissa kind of fell in line as did peyton yep um, Morgan was definitely the dominant person. She had been friends with Peyton for a couple of years, had met Anissa a year before, and had kind of formed the group around her. Mm -hmm. And so there is also that thing if you end up, you know, in a support role in your peer group, or if you end up being a more submissive role in the peer group to a really dominant peer, it can end up you know, a bit interesting in terms of following along. A lot of us have probably done stupid things because our friend wanted us to. Absolutely. Not, not to this level. Right. Right? This is more significant than, like, a stupid thing. But a lot of us have done really questionable things because... That's what we thought we needed to do. Because a group leader um, wanted us to. Right. And especially at that age, like, that you know, strong drive to, like, really, like, fit in um, and belong somewhere. And we were kind of talking about it before we started recording. Um, but just, like, 
the sheer like enmeshment that happens with girl groups during adolescence. Yep. So not a lot of boundaries there. No boundaries. All the feelings and all. Also, to be fair, we don't like as a society teach people how to set boundaries, especially with friends. Like, I feel like we do a good job of like helping people like in romantic relationships, but friendships can be super toxic too. Mm-hmm. So that they can. That they can. Um, so yeah. So now I'm just gonna kind of touch on the brain development piece. Um, so at twelve. A brain has stopped growing in size, but it's nowhere near done developing. Abstract thinking, problem solving, and logic are all becoming easier, but the prefrontal cortex, which plays a role in impulse control and organizational skills, is still immature. So again, you know, really focusing on that impulse control piece. Um, So... At this age, people are increasingly able to understand and apply logic to situations and problems. Um, They become aware of the concepts of justice and quality, and they start to understand cause and effect sequences. So if you think about that, like, they're not able to fully understand cause and effect sequences, and they're having issues with impulse control, like... These are major players in probably what happens, you know, that lack of impulse control and that lack of, oh, I'm noticing, like, I'm thinking about what the consequences will be if Slenderman isn't real, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And and the thing is, there's also a bit with, um, what is the phrase that I'm thinking of? My mind went totally blank there. Right. So, if you're thinking about this, I'm just going to describe what I'm... Lauren, if you think about what I'm talking about, please just jump in (laughs) with it. But really, even think about the fact, like, how much news we have to sort through on a daily basis, how much fake news there is out there. You need the cognitive ability to logically sort through information to identify what's real or fake. And to identify and recognize, like, oh, maybe this meme my friend shared is not actually based on, like, objective truth. Maybe the statistics have been modified. Like, oh, there is a lot. critical thinking. Critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Critical thinking is, like, just starting to get there at this. It's really hard for, you know, anyone younger. Than t- t- they can think critically about things where there is a pretty logical choice like Like if it's like like a simple solution they can do but with this many complex things of like what's real what's fake is this an urban legend is this reality it's very hard to do and you can probably think when you were at that age there's definitely some stuff that like the lines are blurred for sure absolutely so it's it's so hard because of where 12 year olds brains are it's difficult for them to really critically think about what's happening. Thank you for jumping in. I got you. I could not uh, come up with critical thinking. <laughs> you explained it I well. C- oh, thank you. I can think critically. I just can't actually remember the term. Um, so now I'm going to tell you a bit about Morgan. And again, we are not trying to judge or shame 
Morgan at all. Morgan is a human being. Morgan is somebody with a significant and exceedingly rare mental illness. And also, this is our disclaimer once again, that most people with schizophrenia are not going to stab anyone or do anything harmful. Just a blanket statement that I know we always throw in there whenever we're talking about schizophrenia. This is the exception to the rule. Um, This is very, very rare. Again, underlined, highlighted. Super, 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 super rare. So with Morgan, like when she talked to police, she presented as bizarre and flat. Um, which makes sense given her later diagnosis. So we're going to tell you a bit more about Morgan's specific side on the case, then I'll get into some of her psych stuff. Um, Like, she asked the police, when she asked them about her, she said, is she dead? I was just wondering. So she, because they found out at, like, partway through the interrogation, uh, Peyton was already in surgery at the time. Um, she had to get a lot of surgery. They weren't sure if she was going to make it or not. I think the girls found out during their interrogation that she actually had survived. Um, also just something that I found about Anissa during this that I, I forgot to mention and probably goes into a bit more of Anissa's part in this Mm -hmm. versus Morgan's part in this is apparently when, uh, Peyton tried to stand up right after they stabbed her and Anissa told her no lay down you won't bleed out as fast then and like told her that if she stood up she would bleed more and they did tell her that they were going to get help they were not going to get help but they did tell her that Um, so that I mean she did actually get up and go get help but Anissa did. I'm not sure if she was intending on helping her or where, but they did make note that she said that. And that's what's weird is, like, there's, like, this part of her that, like, plans and is very, like, interested in it, but then there's also, like, this, like, very empathetic side, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And it's so strange because, as I'll point out, some of the specifics about the case are confusing as to which girl specifically did which part in terms of planning um it's very hard to tell but you know other things like the detective said it didn't like seem to concern morgan if peyton was dead or alive like she didn't really seem that bothered by it um she said i might as well just say it we were trying to kill her um you know she explained that they attempted the murder to appease quote whoever anissa is talking about she made it seem necessary this is gonna get me arrested isn't it Mm. um so she was like really really strange during the interviews um not what you would expect from a 12 year old and and so initially morgan initially said that there was a man that anissa knew that she didn't know and that's the person that was making us do it so she did really they both blamed each other mm-hmm. Which in the interrogation. Right. Yeah. They're like, it was her idea. Um, but apparently initially um she said it was a man that Anissa knew, and so the police kind of thought that this might have been a thing over a boy uh, for a while, awkward. like an argument over a boy. Um and then yeah. Anissa told police that it was Morgan who said, We have to kill Bella. And that it was Morgan who found out that the Slenderman had this big mansion in the middle of Nicolette State Park, or National Park. So, 
they both kind of blamed each other. Um, but other things that came out, they had been working on the plan to kill her for at least six months. So this was not a spur of the moment thing. They were researching, they were plotting. They had three different plans. Um, so the first plan was to duct tape her mouth, stab her in the neck while she was sleeping. Mm -hmm. So that was their first plan, uh, but they were too tired from their time at the roller <laughs> rink. It's so not funny, not. but it's just like, oh my god, that's such like a 12-year-old. That's such 12-year-old logic, yeah. like a bit tired because I was rollerblading, right? And then Morgan took the knife from her kitchen and they decided to kill Peyton in the park bathroom specifically because there was a drain in the floor right. for the blood. So Again, they didn't want to make a mess. very simple problem solving. Solving, right? Um, and then they decided, but they didn't do that. Then they decided to play hide-and-seek, got Peyton to lie down. When they asked her what happened next, Morgan said, I already told you, stab, 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 stab. It was weird. I felt no remorse. I thought I would, but I actually felt nothing. So that's pretty significant. Yeah. Um, so they found Morgan had a bunch of hidden drawings and journals all about Slenderman um, in her bedroom they found Slenderman and dolls that had their hands cut off arms cut off legs cut off um they found thousands of internet searches including things like how to get away with murder oh. and what kind of insane am i Interesting. um so she had been searching for a while the detective said that she definitely had a clear sense who was the ringleader who was driving this between the two girls it was definitely morgan so they figured it out pretty quickly sure. despite the girls doing this and later morgan was diagnosed with early onset schizophrenia um so schizophrenia presenting before the age of 13 is exceedingly rare. It's about 1 in 40,000 people, which is so, so very rare. 1 in 40,000 children like, will get this. Like, unheard of, basically. Right. So her dad also has schizophrenia and had been hospitalized multiple times in his teenage years. So he had it earlier, not as early as she did from the sounds of it, and he did not stab anyone um again that doesn't mean that they should have known right because it's such a rare thing it's more common you know schizophrenia does have a genetic link mm -hmm. however lots of people with schizophrenia have children who do not have schizophrenia right. so it's kind of like it's more likely it's still not likely though and symptoms usually don't present until after you're 18 so yeah peyton even said that she knew that Morgan was really obsessed with Slender Man and that she thought she was scared, but like, oh, it's what my friend likes. So I just went along with it. So she did know about it. She had no reason to think this was going to happen. She talked a lot. She did a like two hour 2020 interview about what happened where she really talked about it. Now she's 18 now and really just talked about what happened and was pretty open about just like oh well i felt bad and she didn't really have friends so i always sat with her and we became friends so she was really like trying to help morgan from her perspective right. um and really trying to help but so you know morgan per her mom she lacked empathy and compassion from a pretty early age they were looking at 
Uh, one of her examples is they watched Bambi mm-hmm. when she was really little, and they're like, she was kind of sensitive, so we were worried about the mom. And they're like, and when the mom got killed, she just kept saying, run, Bambi, save yourself. Ooh, that's strange. And had, which is an atypical response for a kid, usually. They're like, no, like, they're a lot more upset about it. But so she had some, some differences, but nothing that would indicate, like, violence. Just that she was a little bit different. Um, She had some disturbing stuff in her internet history. And the thing is, she genuinely believed in Slenderman, and that if they killed Peyton, they could live in Slenderman's mansion with him and become his proxies and help him. Like, that was the goal here, is to prove that they were worthy, not that they thought he would kill her family. Um, The mom, Angie, did know that she really liked Slenderman, but she said, no, I wasn't thrilled about her interest. I didn't really see the harm in it either. We never thought for a moment that she really thought that she could possibly believe that it was real. Which makes sense if you think about all, like, the weird stuff you were obsessed with as a kid. Like, you probably thought lots of stuff, right? So you wouldn't necessarily, like, an interest in Slenderman wouldn't necessarily... You know, right? Like my version of that right. would be like goosebumps. Like right. that didn't turn into anything. <laughs> like no, and usually it doesn't. Um, so the mom said, when they told us what had happened and that she had done it because she believes Slenderman is real, that's my where my mind went. That she is that she must be sick. Yeah. So once she found out, they're like, oh, she must be sick. Um, she later learned that Morgan had been experiencing visual hallucinations since she was three years old. Wow. Um, so she had been hallucinating for most of her life. That's what her Morgan told her later. Um, the detective says, one of her hallucinations was a tall, slender, shadowy figure, and I think that's probably what ultimately solidified her belief in the Slender Man. Which makes total sense. If you've been hallucinating for most of your life, you're not gonna know that you're hallucinating. A lot of people with schizophrenia don't know. Right. They, they'll figure it out eventually yeah. but like they it's don't hard to know distinguish that. what's a hallucination what's not right and the thing is if you're looking at since the age of three it's been around for a while how would you know yeah. because most of us can't remember before we were three so how could you possibly know that you're hallucinating and that it's not real it's really tricky and you can see this is kind of where the internet's coming in if you have a young child who's hallucinating and one of the things you hallucinate is a tall slender shadowy figure so you're trying to figure it out you're trying to figure out what you're seeing so what do you do you google it how many times have you googled things that you thought were strange and you don't know what they are like ah i have this weird stomach ache let me google this i have this thing that's happening let me google this right so she probably looked it up found slender man and was like aha this is what i've been seeing right so it really does make sense yep within the context of how she would get to that conclusion right um, so some of the early signs and symptoms of, schizof- of childhood schizophrenia can include developmental problems like language delays, late or unusual crawling, late walking, um, rocking, arm flapping. In teenagers, you can often see things like withdrawal from friends and family, lower school performance, sleep issues, irritability or depression, lack of motivation, strange behavior, or substance use. 
The other tricky thing is literally all of those things are present in lots of other mental illnesses and lots of teenagers without mental illness. So this is where it gets really tricky. It's difficult to recognize. Um, Teens might be less likely to have delusions and more likely to have visual hallucinations. Yeah, And I feel like that might Um, be like the only distinguishing factor from like a depression, for example. Right. And the biggest thing is they specifically say... Um, with schizophrenia, the earlier your symptoms onset, typically the more extreme your symptoms are going to be. It is exceedingly rare for children to have schizophrenia, and when they do, it is severe symptom presentation. Right. Um, yeah, it just doesn't particularly kind of, it's a different progression so it is more severe so some of the main symptoms like things in schizophrenia that you'll see delusions is a big one so they're false beliefs that aren't based in reality Mm -hmm. delusions can be um you know a major catastrophe is about to occur that you are like an exceptional human being that another person is in love with you that everyone's out to get you delusions can be lots of different things um delusions are a bit harder to pick up on than hallucinations because depending on you know especially like if believing that another person is in love with you you might just be it might be delusional but the way that you tell other people that may or may not make it obvious so like delusions can be hard to pick up on right um hallucinations usually involve seeing or hearing things that don't exist but in people with schizophrenia hallucinations have the full impact of experiences that are actually happening hearing voices is the most common hallucination um just a fact i don't know where i learned it from lauren maybe you've heard this as well but actually um, there is some cultural differences in people with schizophrenia in the voices that they hear. In America, they tend to hear negative voices, and in some other countries, the voices tend to be pretty positive and encouraging, um, which sounds like it would be a more... Pleasant. Like, more, it'd be more easy to, like, live with that. Yeah, like, oh, we're good. Yeah, like, okay, cool. Like, you're amazing. Thanks. Like, it's still a problem, but it is, like, interesting that it presents differently the same symptom, like, what happens. Um, Well, right. And And it's it's interesting, too, because if you think about schizophrenia from, like, a way, like, a creative way, it's basically, like, the brain's creative way to manage serious amounts of, like, stress. Um, It's basically helping your brain to cope Mm -hmm. with things. So... You know, it's, it also makes me wonder too, like, you know, what kind of things Morgan was going through where like her brain just has learned to adapt this way. Right. And like, I mean, there's a lot we don't know. Like, obviously she genetically had it, but for it to go in this like specific pattern to go to this level, like it is like, there's not a lot known about how exactly this happened other than kind of like the schizophrenia and the peer group and how that escalated um but i would be curious to know more about like where the interest started right absolutely um and a lot of times when people hallucinate hearing voices it like i've all heard from people it's a lot of like hearing someone say your name Mm -hmm. 
Sometimes so they're usually not. comments. Yeah, it's usually not like command hallucinations. Right. Those are pretty rare. It's more of like um, that's stupid. You're stupid. Or why would you do that? Why? Yeah. Yeah. Um, disorganized thinking, which is inferred from disorganized speech. So there's something called word salad with people with schizophrenia. Well, they will just say strings of words that like make no sense. They'll say it with the inflection of an actual sentence, but they're not saying words that make any sense together. It's very confusing in writing. Have you ever seen it in writing before? No, I have not. So um, when I used to work at that residential facility for people with schizophrenia, um, there is a person there who used to write like books basically um and it was one of those things where like the words they were using like together like it didn't make sense but the flow of it like went with like a flow of like a sentence structure so it was like Mm -hmm. very interesting because it's like okay this doesn't mean anything but like logically it's like the right pattern yeah so it's just like disorient like the words that are being recalled are not words that make any sense in the situation exactly um there can also be extremely disorganized or abnormal motor behavior so the in some and this is the thing it says this may show in several ways from childlike silliness to unpredictable agitation um behaviors not focused on a goal it can be res- include resistance to instructions, bizarre postures, lack of response, or useless or excessive movement. Think about if it can present like childlike silliness. Yeah. How could you tell? You can't. you can't. Like some of these things, like unusual postures, excessive movement, all of that is not like, that abnormal for children. Exactly. Right? And the thing is, like, the tough thing. Um, that, you know, and the detectives did say that during the interviews, she was responding to people that weren't there. Oh, yikes. And she was responding to things and people that were not in the room, like talking to the corner, stuff like that. But it can be really hard to tell. And the thing is, like, it is entirely possible. And in this case, probable. Her parents didn't know. Yeah. Her mom did not know. And she's kind of talked about, like, wishing that she knew and all of that. But, like, it's also just, like, how could she necessarily tell if she wasn't, like, talking to the coroner all the time at home? Like, how can you necessarily tell? Um, Because even if you think about now, like, if you knew your child was alone in a room and you heard them talking, now you would assume that they were on the phone. Right. They're on their phone. They're calling someone. They're playing a video game. They have their headset on, you know. Right. There's so many things that's, like, excessive movement or, like, bizarre posture not responding. All of those things might not seem as strange in children as they would in adults. Right. And it does get... it, It. This is where it gets murky. Another thing, the really... I think the one that's really important in this to explain her behavior in the interrogation is negative symptoms. Right. So, schizophrenia has positive symptoms and negative symptoms. Positive symptoms are things that they have that, uh, that other people don't have. Right. Things like delusions and hallucinations, disorganized thinking. Negative symptoms are things that most people have that people with schizophrenia do not mm-hmm. have. Some of the main examples are lack of emotion, mm-hmm. lack of eye contact, and flat affect. 
so all of those things were they kind of and, and the thing is like you can think about a child saying like i felt nothing like is she dead and not responding it's something that can make the person seem callous it can make them seem like a, or a psychopath like they don't have empathy but it could also be schizophrenia absolutely it could also be an incredibly depressed person right that's I have the importance of lack of emotional expression. Yeah, and that's the importance, and and maybe like the moral of the story is like, if you're having a child who really is lacking in empathy or emotion, take them in, take them in to see a therapist, and the therapist can help you figure it out. Right. I was actually just reading an article. I think I'll post it on our Facebook page. I haven't finished it, but it was entirely on. Um, the article title was like, "What to do if your child's a psychopath." And was all about actual treatment options for kids who do have conduct disorder and things that are starting to work, which is cool, which we've never really had before. Because yeah. um, the thing is, you you can jump to that, right? But they could be, they could have schizophrenia, mm-hmm. they could have really severe depression. Like, think about people you've seen with really severe depression who just don't respond typically to things at all right? right either by laughing inappropriately or just totally flat affect and therapists that is, know how to ask like questions to kind of cite you know decipher like what it is like so for example like have you felt like joy and pleasure like in the past or have you never experienced that and like we know those types of things to assess right to help your child um right like just get them assessed, right? Like you like, don't have to do this alone. Like, that's what we're here for. Absolutely not. And the thing is, you know, this case is horrific and it's also sad. Yep. Because it's something that was... It's so unlikely that all of these things would stack up in this way. Right. It's very fortunate that Peyton survived. Yes, and is doing well. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, you know, I read an article. So Morgan actually yesterday yes. at time of recording. So it was the 12th of August just lost an appeal. They were trying to appeal the decision to try the girl to try Morgan in adult court. So both kids were tried in adult court, um, which Peyton has actually said uh she thinks is the right call so that is the victim's perspective she says that like yeah juvenile court is great for juvenile things like stealing a candy bar and i believe she said like but stabbing someone is an adult crime and deserves adult court so that's her perspective i want to throw that out there because she's the victim in this and her perspective is incredibly important to the story at the same time there are a few things that are iffy. Yeah. And the, the police did not know that Morgan had schizophrenia of course. at the time. She was diagnosed in the treatment facility she went to after she had been charged with this crime, right? But at the same time, you get into certain things, and I believe the basis of the appeal is on waiving rights mm-hmm. and her understanding of her rights and the legal system. You cannot... I can't say as a clinician or just like a person that I think a 12-year-old with schizophrenia can use critical thinking and determine whether or not they're willing to waive their rights. Um, So, you know, that being said, I don't know. 
what's going to happen there. She is appealing the case. Of course, she's appealing the case, right? I think really a lot of the parents' concern, which we'll throw in there too. I know Anissa's mom was talking about her concern if she, Anissa does stay in for the full 25 years. Like, what is her life going to look like yeah. when she's been locked up for this long? Um, Morgan's mom has stated that at this point in time, uh, Morgan's schizophrenia has responded really well to treatment. She fully understands that Slenderman is not real at this point. So Morgan's mom is like, it was those beliefs in her illness that made her a danger. She's not a danger anymore. That being said, she has not been released yet. I do not know when and if she will be. I mean, obviously she will be at at the end of 40 years. Um, Most likely sooner, but I don't know when. But it does also bring up certain ethical things. Like, And this is the thing that I like to point out to people who think that like, being not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect is like on tv it'll be portrayed as a way to get out Mm -hmm. this is the reality she could be in there for up to 40 years and can only get released if she's determined to no longer be a threat to really go through but that is kind of the basis of their appeal Mm -hmm. and whether or not it's legally sound it is kind of a good ethical question of uh, that the state's attorney was are basically arguing that they had enough evidence to convict even if her confession was thrown out and that it doesn't really matter. Um, But that being said. And I think the other part that I have an issue with is like when they're being interrogated, their parents obviously weren't there. They were not in the room. They were at the police station at some point, um, but they didn't necessarily... There was a lot of confusion. I don't know Wisconsin state law. Right. I think they would have to get the parents' permission to interrogate them. It's unclear what they knew about what happened. I don't know the specifics of them, you know, in their interview, if they were even interrogated, if they were just talked to. I haven't watched the videos or anything. I know there's some online, but they're 12. Right. And with one of them you know, being in a shared delusion, which shared delusions in friend groups are also exceedingly rare. They're usually in siblings, parent or child or married couples. Um, It is rare in a friend group. But even that, you're looking at two children with severe mental illness. And just probably not understanding the gravity of, like, whatever they say is being used against them. This isn't, like, a chat with, like, a counselor or an adult. This is so much heavier so it's it's unclear what they knew at the time, so I don't know what legally is going to happen with that, um, but, you know, I really do hope that they're able to get the treatment. I hope so, too, and that's yeah. great to hear that Morgan's been responding to treatment. Right, and hopefully, you know, that their illnesses are able to be managed and that they are able to have, you know, whatever life is best for them. I hope that, you know, also Peyton... I'm assuming has had some treatment for the sheer yeah. trauma of being stabbed by your friends and hopefully she, you hopefully know, she's thriving. She actually had said that without this of happening, she would not have had a uh, her direction in life that she has now. She actually wants to go into the medical field. Kind of inspired by the doctors and nurses who saved her. There's that post-traumatic growth. 
post-traumatic growth. So, you know, I think we're wishing them the best. And the parents, too. This is such a hard thing for the parents to go through. All of the parents and everything. And it is, again, it's just such... It's pretty much impossible that this situation happened, but it did. It did. And they're all dealing with it, so... Yeah. Lots of just... You know, I, I wish them a lot of peace, as much as they can have. Absolutely. So... So, yeah. That's what we have to say about Slenderman and the Slenderman stabbing. Yeah. Um, let... Should we plug some stuff? Yeah. So, our wonderful listeners thank you you. we love you all can you please do us a favor and download the episodes when you listen delete them afterwards i don't actually care but when you do listen if you could download that would be great just so we can better keep track um tell your friends your family your co-workers your boss strangers just tell people about the podcast share it with people who you think would like to listen to us please leave reviews Um, on apple podcasts yeah rate review subscribe please give us some reviews and some ratings and um you know if you feel so inclined to support the podcast you can become a patron There are some perks. There might one day be some patron-only content. I don't know. We're still figuring out this podcasting thing. Um, You can follow Lauren on Instagram at... Lauren underscore... Malika? Yeah. This is bad. Okay. Lauren underscore Malika, M-O-L-L-I-C-A, L-M-F-T at Instagram. And you can follow me at... Megan Baker LCSW. Um, you can follow our Facebook page, Spooky Psychology St. Charles. We post lots of updates on there. And what's your good shit? My good shit. I did not think of good shit. That's okay. I can do one. Beforehand. You can do one. Let me find some good shit. Okay. Um, you guys may have seen, but I definitely wanted to give a shout out. Um, we recently became brand ambassadors for Don't Be a Monster. We- um, we love this non-for-profit. They do a lot of amazing work going into schools and um, helping with anti-bullying. And that's super important and needed right now. Um, and they have a fun twist. They definitely use Halloween and spooky themes. And we're all about that. Um, we've definitely donated to them in the past. And, you know, we continue to support them. And we're just very happy to be considered and partnering with them. Yes, we are very happy about that that's pretty exciting stuff so be on the lookout we've also got some um we've got some other stuff coming up but it will have already happened by the time we release this you can can plug it though maybe people want to go check it out after i don't know thank you for listening to the science behind the scare on the 16th we're getting interviewed on that but this won't be released till after that happens so if you did listen thank you and if not go back and check it out Yep, Science Behind the Scares uh, school is cool. Oh my god, I can't talk. Um, <laughs> Nick runs it. He's very nice. Um, he has been in the haunt community for a long time, doing various different things. And he really breaks down the science behind a lot of different things when it comes to FX, um, different haunts. He has really cool guests on, and we're very excited to be on his show. Right, and I think uh, my good news that I will plug some good stuff going on is just that our podcast has grown 
quite a bit in the month we were off. It was our most downloads (laughs) ever. Um, We have now over 14,000 downloads, which is great. Thank you, guys. We've got 2,000 unique listeners on Spotify. It's crazy. We haven't checked all of our stats, so who even knows? But We've been growing, and that's cool, and we would like to keep growing. Absolutely. You guys you so guys are keep... definitely encouraging us, so. Thanks, friends. Thanks, friends. All right, well, take care, spooky peeps. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for getting spooky. Thanks, guys. Bye.